This is episode 35 of the History of Podcast. I'm Robert, and before I get into today's episode, I'd just like to say that uh, the last episode, episode 34, The History of Cereal, really got me into eating cereal. Like, I cannot stop eating granola now. And if you don't believe me, I was eating granola five minutes ago. So check that out, and you'll probably, I bet you'll start eating more cereal after listening to that episode, because I did. Today's episode is going to be a little different from past episodes because today is an interview. And the only time, the only other uh, interview that we have had on the history of was when Emma interviewed Mr. Verone Carter about his experience with 9-11. And today I'm interviewing Mrs. Jane Chastain. She was the very first female sports anchor and reporter. And she reported for the NBA, NFL, and MLB. Today, Mrs. Chastain writes online political commentary and her blog is Politically Direct, and I know you're waiting to hear from her. She's done it all, so please welcome Jane Chastain. So I guess your career, I guess we should start with high school. So you want to know how I started in high school? Or, yeah, how did, I guess your career started around high school? Yes, um, I guess you could say that. Uh, I began doing some modeling and not the kind where you appear in the high fashion magazines. Uh, You have to be much taller than I am to do that kind of work. But um, I would model uh, young junior clothes and um, I would um, put my hair in ponytails and, um, and, and model, as I said, do that kind of work. And also um, didn't really matter how tall you were to, pose with refrigerators and stoves, that kind of thing. Nothing very glamorous, but occasionally I would get to be in a television commercial, not the kind where you had to speak, uh, but, you know, like you hold up a carton of milk and smile, (laughs) that kind of thing. And then one day I got a speaking part, very small. I think it was one line. And I realized that, um, well, I had a very Southern accent at that time growing up near Atlanta with a little bit of the Tennessee twang. And, you know, it's kind of a combination of the two. Can't quite duplicate it anymore. But I realized that my voice needed some work. And at that time, I was like pouring everything I made back into lessons to um, to try to to aim toward getting a job on the on the air. But, um, yes, I, I guess my senior year in high school, I was. I was uh, pretty active doing that sort of thing. So I had kind of broken in, gotten my foot in the door in Atlanta. And so I uh, signed up to go to college at Georgia State, which um, was in downtown Atlanta. And so I was uh, was working and going to school. And eventually I was like teaching charm at a local business college, anything I can, I could do to kind of support my television habit. Uh, But um, eventually um, I heard about an audition, didn't know what it was for. And I went and found out it was, it was a gimmicky thing. It was for a female to make football predictions. It was the brainchild of the local sports director And so I auditioned for the spot and got the job. And in the beginning, um, it was just supposed to be for 13 weeks during the football season. And the sports director made the predictions for me. But 
it was kind of an overnight success. And wherever I went, people began to recognize me. And so I had always been a sports fan, but uh, I began to really study the teams and the and the game. And so I I could talk intelligently when people recognized me on the street and asked me something about the games. So uh, one day I walked into the office and the sports director said, well, you're getting so smart here. You make the predictions. And he threw them at me. And so I sat down and I, I checked him off and he looked at him and he said, oh, well, I see a few I would change, but just for the heck of it, we'll let it go this week. Well, Robert, that week I got them all right. Wow. And he never helped me again. <laughs> and boy, did I really have to study to make those predictions. But at that point, we were getting calls from the bookies in Las Vegas and from all over the country, you know, wanting to know how I made my predictions. Right. So that, you know, it was a gimmick. It's only supposed to be on for 13 weeks. And at that time, I would only buy one tube of television makeup, which at the time was in black and white. So it was makeup for black and white television. And at that time, I thought, well, I'm not going to need a second one. So I'd only buy one at a time. But um, it, it lasted a bit longer than that. <laughs> well, so I guess, and this is in, this is in Atlanta? Yes. Okay. And then you moved to Raleigh later? Well, that was very simple. I had been on the air for five years in Atlanta. At that time, I had, um, I had broken the barrier and I was the weekend sportscaster. Um, but um, I moved to Raleigh for one very simple reason. I, I got married. My husband was in Raleigh. He was an industrial designer working at the research angle there. And well, I heard that they rolled up the sidewalks in Raleigh. You know, Atlanta was the big city. So I assumed my career would be over. But um, nevertheless, I decided to uh, give it a try. And there were only two television stations in Raleigh at the time, one in Raleigh and one in the twin city of Durham. And so I went to the two stations and well, what's an expert? Somebody from out of town with a briefcase, right? <laughs> so I went, I went to the two stations and the station in Durham said, oh, great. We'd love to have you. You can be our weather girl. And I, I'd never done weather. And, you know, I didn't want to be a weather girl. But so I went over to the station in Raleigh and the station, um, the, the station owner, I remember sitting in the owner of Capital Broadcasting and he looked at me. And he said, sports, you just can't do sports for us. And his executive vice president, who was in charge of programming, said, oh, yes, she can. And he hired me over the objections of his boss. And Robert, I don't know if you know who this man is, but his name was Jesse Helms. He later became a senator from North Carolina and the head of the Foreign Relations Committee. And he was very conservative, uh, and he had very strong feelings about abortion. And so the feminists used to paint him as um, anti, anti-woman, which, mm -hmm. of course, was not true at all. I mean, he hired me over the objections of his boss. He also had uh, more women and people of color, which um, was surprising to me because, again, Television was pretty much uh, all white men at that time, but uh, Jesse Helms had 
had uh, quite a variety of people on the air at the time. Uh, needless to say, I was the only one on the news uh, because for years, the only women um, that I worked with at all either did what you call kind of a home show, a cooking show, or, or weather, which came along, which came along while I was doing sports. So mm-hmm. uh, that's why I went to Raleigh. I married my husband. And at that point, you know, I was willing to completely give up my career. When you find the right man, hey, <laughs> I was willing to do that. Right. And then uh, then after Raleigh, you moved to Miami? Yes. Again, my husband had a, a business opportunity there. And um, Jesse Helms wrote a letter to the television station managers in the area. And I will never forget how that letter began. A feller in Atlanta did me a favor once, and he introduced me to the local TV stations. And I went to work for, at that time, the CBS affiliate in Miami, WTBJ. And it was um, by far and away the leader in the nightly news. And so it turned out to be a, a very good move. But the, um, the news director was quite chagrined when he discovered the sports director and the station manager had hired a female. And in fact, when I went out to do my first stories, he demanded to see the film before he would let it air on his news show. That makes sense. You know, yeah, <laughs> maybe it makes sense to you, but it was it was a. Uh, it was pretty frustrating to me. So I was hired by WTVJ, and uh, it was while I was at WTVJ that I began to do a lot of network feeds and uh, became uh, pretty much the, the chosen reporter when um, CBS Morning News would do any stories. They would always request me, and, and our station regularly fed the network news, uh, news and sports. And you were with the Miami Dolphins. You spent some time with the Miami Dolphins. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I probably, well, I went to training camp with them at least, you know, at least for one two-hour practice session every day out in the middle of the broiling sun. I, um, I ate lunch with them. I watched game films with them. Um, I mean, I, I, um, I had the, I guess the the honor. I, I will say it was an honor. Um, to watch Don Shula and Bobby Bethard take a team that was a perennial loser and build it into the perfect team with imperfect players. And it was it was quite exciting to see the Dolphins take shape and 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 become, you know, a, a, an amazing force in sports. But no, I covered everything. I think you know, I think my record in Miami was 10 stories in one day in a live show. Although in the beginning, I wasn't allowed to anchor a sportscast. Um, the, the sports director felt like uh, the audience wasn't ready for a female anchor. So in the beginning, I was just doing features and then let, then graduated to doing what we would call hard sports. You know, the, whatever was happening, we were expected to get the story. My station was very aggressive in sports. We were expected to get the story and get it first and get it on the air. And you did some with the NBA too, right? Oh, I think I covered everything but caber tossing. I don't think I ever (laughs) covered that. 
Okay. If it moved and it was it was a sporting event, any kind of sport, I covered it. Wow. Although at the time, Robert, Miami didn't have an NBA team. Miami had the Miami Dolphins. Um, mm-hmm. They didn't have any other major league team. But it was it was interesting. I, I covered a lot of major league baseball because it was a spring training site for the Orioles in, in Miami mm-hmm. and for the New York Yankees in Fort Lauderdale. And there were other teams as well. So in, in the surrounding areas. So I covered a lot of major league baseball during spring training. Okay. And after Miami, you moved to Los Angeles. Yes. While I was in Miami, I did a syndicated sports show that was on pretty much throughout the nation And then I was tapped by the network and went to work for CBS Sports in New York. I still lived in Miami, but I just caught a lot of airplanes. And then, again, my husband was building his business. He could move everything to the West Coast, but he could not leave. I mean, he couldn't do business completely from the East Coast. And he was a he was a small company. And so we were really not large enough to have offices practically on both coasts. So it necessitated the move to Los Angeles. Okay. And there, there I went to work for KABC, which is, was the ABC owned station in Los Angeles. Okay. So you could say, you know, my moves, although it is necessary many times in broadcasting to make a move, I think it's necessary in any profession. Sometimes if you found yourself hitting a brick wall or you're stagnant in your career, it, it's a smart move to, to move when you need to. I don't think you can be married to one special place. But in, in my case, I was married to a wonderful man, still am. And um, I just often kid said he blows in my ear. I follow him anywhere. <laughs> and I've been fortunate to find work. And I don't know if you could say that was fortune or... Um, God's will or whatever, but um, but I enjoyed a, a great career, really. When I look back on it, it was a wonderful opportunity uh, being the first woman to do sports and on television and on the network level, and uh, it was a great opportunity. What would you consider the peak of your career? Well, I think... Um, I think, Robert, most people would consider being hired by the network was the peak of my career. Um, It was also the most frustrating and trying time of my career. Okay. And is there one question you wish I had asked that I didn't? Well, in terms of um, being helpful to others, I would say probably... The thing that would be most helpful is to tell folks that when people tell you, no, you can't do that, or it's never been done, just don't take no for an answer. Just um, just keep trying to find a way over or under or around or through to get the job done. I mean, if I had quit the first time somebody told me no, um, I, I wouldn't have lasted very long. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a short interview, but I've really enjoyed it. I've really, 
I've really had fun with this. Well, great, Robert. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing a great job. And give my best to Emma, your broadcast partner. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, don't listen to the next episode just yet. I'd appreciate if you could take just 10 seconds to rate or write a review for The History Of. It really does make the episodes better. And if you think you have a friend who might enjoy this podcast, tell them about The History Of, their new favorite podcast, and you might just make their day. I'd like to thank you all for your gracious, loyal support. And until the next one, I'm Robert Lakatosh. Thanks for listening.